This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Ladies and gentlemen, Billy Hallowell and Chris Field, the Church Boys. From the sublime to the ridiculous, but mostly ridiculous. I hate these guys. How you, how you doing over there? How you doing over there, Cookie Monster? <laughs> what, man? Just as I'm eating. just as I hit the button on the soundboard to start the show, to hit the the um, incredible music and opening that we have. Uh, what does Billy do? <laughs> No, 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 no. Cookie Monster. Cookie in my mouth. Our oh, cookie Monster. I love cookies. Me love cookies. Me love what cookies. <laughs> All right, I'm done eating them because I, I finished them. But the bottom line is, that's the only a cookie. I'm not stopping. That's the only reason you're not eating them on air right now. It's not because you think it's unprofessional. It's because you've run out. I'm out of You've them. eaten all your cookies. I they're gone and you, know, you don't wait for a cookie when there's a cookie you eat it yes. and especially if it's frosted yes. frosted cookies are the best so speaking of getting fatter and fatter <clears throat> how was your Thanksgiving <laughs> did you gain any weight over Thanksgiving because you're looking mm. I can only see about half of you in the screen right now you've really I didn't get any really weight balloon you've really ballooned up I gained 10 pounds over the past year which I've retained <laughs> and I did not gain any more weight on Thanksgiving <laughs> good for you so yeah. I saw your tweets from your uh, from your elliptical or your what is it you use? Mm. I have um, I obviously I can't show people because we're not on video right now. But I have an ellipt. I have right next to me a treadmill, and then I have an elliptical on the other side of the room. A treadmill that serves as a, a drying rack for wet laundry. <laughs> <laughs> only blankets. It's only when we can't fit the blankets in the dryer. But yeah, no, I mean I. Love the I like the elliptical. I like the yeah. treadmill a little bit so better. So Billy, <laughs> Billy has a desk attached to I like a when it's a little workstation that he's put on the <laughs> on, on the elliptical machine. It's like it's a it's a it's a Pedro made fun just, of this. Our, just our how, favorite. Just fan how Pedro. intensive is your workout with it? You've got your computer. I have to be you're honest trying, with you. You're I've writing never and typing while it. you're on the elliptical machine. Wait, listen, listen, listen. <laughs> I loved the idea of working oh, out man. while I did work for the Blaze, and it's just not pop. <laughs> you can't type and work out on the treadmill. So I have this wonderful desk that I do not use. <laughs> just the whole notion of it. What idiot buys it? A <laughs> computer desk. It was a Christmas for, gift. I asked for, for his it for treadmill. Christmas. Oh man! Uh, oh, now know. my head hurts. I've been laughing so much at you. Oh my goodness! All right. So we're going to get to some, Billy has, you know, of course, he's always outraged about the war on Christmas. He and he and John Gibson, he claims that John Gibson stole the idea of the war on Christmas from him. <laughs> I love but the war on Christmas. We're going to get to some Christmas stuff it. here in a little bit. But first, we got to talk about something. Well, we don't have to, but we're going to talk about something that's a little more serious. But it's in the news right now, and I think it's worthy of discussion. And it's that shooting in San Bernardino. Uh, uh, awful. Uh, Completely awful. Just, I mean, there's everything about it is awful. Like we haven't seen any redemptive stories from it for the most part. Yeah, have we? I mean, I don't. I know of none. No. There's nothing makes me. Well, go, there was the Here's cop. A silver the cop lining. Who, the cop who said he would, you know, stand in front of. I mean, look, there's no. Re, there's always there's always a few stories that pop out where you're like, wow, that was courageous. That person right. did something nice. The cop who was willing to take the bullets for people. I think, 
you know, it's nice to see a positive cop story. Yeah. Um, unfortunate in the context of where that story is. And yeah, there's nothing good about this. And, you know, I just keep thinking back to the six month old baby that they have and what that baby is going to feel and think growing up okay. after all of Can this. I, I mean, is this uh, maybe it's horrible to say, okay. But if this is the, if the, if the, if the philosophy of the shooters who they who reports are that they are a, a Muslim couple, apparently devout Muslim, and that this was a lot of people are speculating this was Muslim or Islamic terrorism, that it was some sort of radical Islam connection. Okay. If indeed uh, that's no, wait, wait, no, workplace violence. Okay. Let's get it right. But but let's just say, let's just say for snicks and giggles, that indeed it is Islamic terrorism, that that was their agenda that they are radicals. Can I, is it horrible of me to say that uh, this six month old is actually better off now? Listen, I obviously, yeah, if, if, this, if this is how these people are, yeah, then, then absolutely. Anybody who's able to do this, yeah, you're better, you're better off without them. But it just, you know, you think about that kid, I know this is like a weird thing to say, but you think about that kid growing up, like what, what is that kid going to like think? And yeah. I mean, I, I can't yeah. even imagine. And obviously, it's sort of a weirder detail to yeah. ponder, but it is something that popped in, into my head right. um, as the reports of that baby were out there. You know, you it's hear so you know, everyone wants to know their story, where they're from, who their parents are. And in this case, you're going to have a very tragic and awful story about who your parents are. Yeah. Ugh. Just it was so sad. Anyway, so but like I said, there's there's been hardly any like silver lining stories from this. Like you could take this. and go, Oh, I mean, there is that story about the cop. But for the most part. Most people are just being horses rear end. I shouldn't say most. That's not true. I mean, there are people who are a tweeting, lot of people. But I mean, that, like the stories or the tweets that are coming from people, thoughts and prayers for the folks in California and that sort of thing. Even that, you know, those kind gestures are overshadowed by reaction by jerks to those tweets or those expressions of kindness and, and you know, desires to pray for people. I mean, the New York daily to politicize it, right? The New York daily news and other not, you know, another nutbags are out there saying, well, your prayers didn't do a whole lot of good. Well, these are prayers of reaction for one. And they're mostly gestures. I, I, I think that most people who tweet, I'm praying for this situation. Most of them don't really mean it. They don't follow through with well, it, but it's a way of saying, you know, what's I don't know what else to do other than to say, man, this sucks. You know what's disgusting about it, and, and I'm going to use that word because I think it is absolutely disgusting, is that you actually have 14 families of people who died. Yep. You have 2021 20, other families of people who were injured who actually really do need prayer right now, who could benefit from that, who, yeah. could, who would love to know that people are thinking about them, I would imagine. Um, and look— these people are trying to push an agenda. I don't care where people stand. This is all about, well, you, yep. the politicians they're speaking to, you didn't vote to ban guns. And so right. therefore, this happened. And that, to me, is just so bizarre. But I also think, look, a lot of the people who are who are waging these critiques, at least some of them, there's yeah. at least one senator who himself had said, oh, I'm thinking of you and I'm praying for you during during one of the other the mass Charles shootings that we Charleston. had happened. During but, the Charleston thing, but yeah. Look, Right, 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 Charleston thing. And so here we are, though, you know, we, we're in this bizarro world where now we're going to start criticizing prayer because yeah. it, it has a political agenda. It's, it's really I just, weird. I, it's bizarre. And I think that it's really faulty logic and it's sad. And I'm pretty sure most people who are praying people would like to not see these things happen right. and would be more than happy to take action if they believed that that action would actually prevent these things. Right. Now, let me also say, uh, I'm not one who gets... Um, 
because I live in, I try to live in reality. I'm not one who gets upset when people start having gun debates uh, immediately following a tragedy. I think that, in fact, I think that it's good for us to have those debates. It's, it's worthy. I think it's worthy of discussion. You're not gonna change my mind on it, but I think it's worth discussing. I think we, I think that it's worth hashing out. Uh, uh, and, and frankly, it doesn't bother me. Most people would be bothered by, I, I guess I wasn't that, Democrats are out there. Uh, many Democrats are out there, including candidates for president, and the, our pr- current president were out there calling for more gun control as the shooting scene was still live, as it was an ongoing uh, case. Uh, they were still evacuating people. They hadn't. They didn't have any suspects yet. They hadn't. Fi- they hadn't uh, gone into the center yet. We didn't know what was going on with these suspects. Nobody knew. It was an ongoing case. But people, the death toll was still rising as as politicians were calling for more gun control. Now, to me, that's not that doesn't bother me. But most people, including those people who did that, would say that that seems a bit opportunistic. I mean, politically speaking, you know, as somebody who as somebody who has an understanding of politics and what looks bad, that just looks really bad that they're estimating there, there, there are several people dead. They don't even know how many. And then they finally put out a number of 12 and it wound up being 14. I mean, the, the body count's still adding up, piling up. The bodies are still piling up. The, the, the corpses are, have not yet assumed room temperature. And already there are calls for gun control. Well, you're appealing to emotion, right? You have three ways that you can in, in California, one of the most heavily gun controlled States (laughs) in the country. Well, look, I mean, like I said, they're using emotion. You can use logic, emotion, or character, right, to try to sway right. people. And I think emotion is a really easy thing to seize on when you have a moment where everybody's watching their TV. They're all feeling really moved by something. They're all really upset about something, and and understandably so. And you try to then move on that. Look, it's I a am terrible all way to make, I'm not a— Yeah, it's a terrible way to what? make— pol- It's a terrible way to make policy. Well, yeah, obviously, but right? that's one— well, let me not get myself in trouble. Oh, dear. Well, I'm going to say it. Okay. One party likes to appeal more to emotion, and the other party tends to appeal to the extreme more to logic. And I think th- it's beneficial to have both of those things, yes. but that's why there the can debate, be problems. That's the why the debate, once it's all said and done, once the cases, once the families have you know, been given a couple of days to grieve and get over the shock, that we have the debate. Right. I agree. I don't know why it has to be political right away, but... Like, I'm all for, and I don't even want to get into a gun control debate because I don't right. think we need to right now. Right. I do think that there are legitimate things that could be done, probably, and now I don't know all of the laws, but to make sure, we need to do a better job of treating people who are mentally ill to make sure that they don't have access to not just guns, but any other weapon or any other thing that could hurt people. I don't know, you know, and this seems to be a case, though, that isn't about the mentally ill necessarily, right. I although I think some would argue that they're mentally ill. But anybody who does something like this is, you know, right. you could argue is mentally, you know, has got Agreed. some sort of mental problem. But that said, there's no record of these people as far as we know so far that they're mentally ill. Like that doesn't even enter into right. it. So, you know, there right. are very few it's, things. It's, that, it's allegedly terrorism. Right. And, and there are very few things that we actually know about them, but it's increasing, you know, minute by minute it's, it has increased. But there's not a whole lot that we know, but what we do know apparently is that they were Muslim and apparently at least the husband was a very strong Muslim, according to his own father. But what's interesting is this thing breaks out as the news is breaking. I think Oliver put up the story yesterday. What's the first thing that MSNBC and some of the other people in, in liberal media did? What was one of the, what, do, you, do you remember, Billy? Just it was you know, yeah, less than 24 hours ago. No, 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 no. They, they, they happened to get out their Google Maps. They said, here's the location of the shooting. 
Are there any of these types of organizations near this shooting? Do you remember? They immediately went to see, is it a Planned Parenthood related shooting? Right. Because there had been a shooting at a Planned Parenthood by a nutball who we don't know what his actual beliefs were, but yet they immediately jump on the, is it a Planned Parenthood related shooting? And then MSNBC comes out and says, there's a Planned Parenthood clinic or whatever within about a mile and a half of this of this shooting well you know what there's also probably a mcdonald's probably there's a whole lot of things within a mile and a half of that place but it's hard to turn in this country and look in a direction where there isn't a planned parenthood within 10 feet there's like 700 (laughs) of them in this country so and by the way out of those almost 700 clinics none of them magically have mammogram machines but that's a whole other debate and they're everywhere but yeah i think look this is this is the place that we are we're so polarized that everything immediately becomes political right well they and go ahead go ahead chris no no no, you go go ahead ahead. you go ahead no go ahead i insist enlighten us enlighten us no go ahead no, now I don't even know what I was going to say because I'm thinking about cookies again. I well, don't even I becomes, completely... you say everything becomes political and, you know, in light of. This, oh, yeah. Well, the, the... that's that's the place we're in. I mean, I don't think that these things need to be political right away. They need to be emotional in terms of letting people process them, having respect for the victims. I don't think a gun control debate, no matter where you stand, is very respectful to the victims two seconds after an event happens. Right. I just don't. Right. And, and my, you know, and I, this is just me being the horrible person with the black heart that I am, but. It doesn't bother. I mean, to me, it doesn't bother me that other people started having. I mean, it seems it seems unwise, but it doesn't bother me personally. But it just I look at it and go, well, that seems like a really bad move because most people aren't like me. Most people would be bothered by that. And I'm like, you're you're not helping yourself out when you do that. But I, think, I don't know if I'm bothered by it. I just think it's. I just. It's, I don't like the political nature of it's these. It's tasteless. Things. It's tasteless. Well, it is, and look. If if we I I guess the thing that does bother me is that this immediate and the and the right does it and the left does it this obsession with tying a shooter yeah. right to something right away and I think it's a little bit different when it comes to terrorism because that's sort of a different animal but when it comes to political ideology right when you're like yep. okay Planned Parenthood shooting up oh, he's a right wing evangelical he must be. <laughs> or, you know, I'm sorry, what about the guy who what about the guy who shot his former co-workers live on television, right? Not really the same conversation going on there. Who right. I just I think that we and I guess some people on the right did try to did try to figure out who is this and, and pin it on him. And look, I mean it's it's sort of like saying, Oh, it's always terrorism. There are people who that's the first thing you think. But in fairness to those people, it does tend to be terrorism an awful lot. Right. And that's and that's happen. the thing. I mean, the the attempt to set up the narrative ahead of time. If you're a news organization, you shouldn't do that. If average people want to speculate, I mean, if you and I weren't working in quote journalism, you know, I'm, and I don't mean that as a disrespect in any way. I mean, if we weren't working in the, you know, in the world of journalism, there's a part of us if we're if we are honest that immediately jumps to I suspect this first. I mean, that's the first thing. I, and my first suspicion is terrorism, because that's what we've seen a lot of, right? The less first suspicion is ought to be terrorism if they had any clue, but that's not where they attempted to set the narrative. And and that's really the thing is they're trying to, they're trying to set the narrative. They want it to be somebody, you know, you know, white, you know, multi-generational American. That's what they want. That's their, that's their goal. They want it to be a conservative. They want a white conservative, you know, 50 year old male American that's been here for generations. That's what they want. 
And so they when they and look, when, there are a lot of those too, though. I mean, when it comes to school shootings, there are a lot of those. Well, those are usually but crazy people. But there's no, but there's no, there's right. not something. That's my whole point. Right. There's not something that ties all those together. So their immediate decision is, you know what, we're gonna say, we're gonna. Oh, there's a Planned Parenthood within a mile and a half of this place. Well, because you're gonna go with the narrative that it could be a Planned Parenthood shooting when the likelihood of it is is minuscule. Stu pointed out on the radio today on Glenn's show, something like, since Roe v. Wade, there has been eight abortion-related shootings. Eight, which is nuts. That's, I mean, that's eight too many, but that's not very many when you think about, you know, the rate of shootings. So you're, if you're going to just spin a wheel, if you're just going to say it could be anything, and I'm just going to guess, you'd be more, ac- you'd be more accurate to guess that it's some, some uh, disgruntled, you know, or crazy or whatever left-leaning, you know, environmentalist than you are that it's going to be a you know, some sort of, you know, Christian right-wing Christian evangelical anti-abortion person. It, but go with what are the odds? I mean, if you're just going to start speculating, if you're just going to say it could be this, if you're just going to speculate on what what the motive is, go with the thing where you've got the better odds of getting it right. Why would you go to Planned Parenthood other than you want to set the narrative? If you're going to guess, well, make a make an educated guess and, and go with the odds. The odds are not that it's Planned Parenthood related. Well, there seems to be an obsession, though, with blaming other people, too. It's like, oh, well, that crazy person did it. So that means it has to be David David DeLion, (laughs) or however you say his name, from the Center for Medical Progress. He must be responsible because he made videos showing allegedly what goes on with these sales of of fetal body parts. Okay, well, I guess if you're going to have that logic, though, you would also have to then blame abortion for it, which I'm not saying you should at all. I don't think think there's nobody responsible except for the nutbag who did it. Right. But— if we're going to follow that logic through, yeah. then anytime anybody does anything, we have to blame whatever they're part of, whatever they right. are, whatever they believe. Um, we would have to blame the Quran then in cases of, you know, interpretations of the Quran. I don't think, again, I don't think that this is how we should be approaching these things. I think we should look at the nut job who did it. Now, if their reason is because of this issue, well, then that's the, the reason why they did it. But, but. Look, even if these this guy was so angry, if if Robert Deere was so you're angry, about you're going back. Videos, you're going back to the Colorado P- Planned Parenthood yes, shooting. Yes, yeah. yes. Even if he was so angry about those Planned Parenthood videos that he went and did this, that's still not the video's fault. The video's right. never told anybody to go out and shoot anybody. Right. They presented what they claimed to be a situation that's going on in these clinics, and right. and people watched it. And 99.999% of people did not go and react violently. Right. So, and I'm not saying that's why he did. We, he, he mentioned apparently body, you know, no more baby parts. Okay. Well, right. he also mentioned a lot of other insane things. Right. So, but, you, but you would agree, but you would agree with me that Planned Parenthood shootings are extremely rare. Yes. Especially no, with absolutely. the st- statistics, even anyway, but they're extremely rare. But if you are a news organization that wanted credibility, if you're going to start speculating on possible motives, wouldn't you go with the most likely motive rather than one of the least likely motives? Well, yeah, if but you I wanna, think if you know, retain, political retaining, correctness is the problem here. Right, too. but if you want to, but if your concern at all is for credibility in journalism, if you're going to start speculating on motives, wouldn't you go to the one that you're most likely to be right on? Well, I don't look. I think that most reporters, there's there's a danger that conservatives have, and you might disagree with me, but I think you know we talk about reporters as being these you know intentionally far left 
people who just are pushing this agenda. I think something that's far more dangerous and something that is actually more realistic to what they are are people who tend to live in urban areas, people who are only really surrounded by others who live in those urban areas, and people who, unbeknown to themselves, are very far left, but they think they're not. They think they're mainstream. So the assumption is that these liberal views that a lot of them hold and that they're surrounded by, the assumption is that that is the norm, that is the middle range, when in reality, it's not. And they operate based on that and how they cover right, but, but again, that much goes, of the news. That goes to the emotion side of it. But if you're simply, look, if you are an organization that says, we want to get more viewers because we want to, because we're credible, wouldn't you start speculating using statistics as your guide? If if only eight in the last, since Roe v. Wade, abortion shootings have happened, period. So that's a long time. Wouldn't you go with something else? Wouldn't you start speculating well, my, on something else that has better odds of it being accurate? I think, yes. But I think the problem is that the rhetoric that they're probably surrounded by, similar to people who are in very conservative areas, is rhetoric that would make them assume that maybe there have been more than eight. They right. may not realize that. They right. may not and even I, know the statistics. Right. But that's, but that's my point. I mean, I would, I would criticize a conservative for doing something similar if I could, if I could come up with a, you know, an example of it just off the top of my head right now for this discussion. But just saying, if you could just step back and just think about facts, what are the facts? And the facts are, this percentage is, is is Islamic extremism. This percentage is left wing nutballs. This percentage is uh, anti-abortion, you know, evangelicals. Whatever it is, you wouldn't you start playing to the percentages rather than just your own agenda? Yeah, but you, I guess I mean, what you I would person, do, maybe, I mean, you maybe I wouldn't speculate at all. Maybe right. I would do what a reporter should do, which is to say, you know what. We don't know the reasons. Here is the information we right, have. Right. Let's move from there. But that's not what's happening now. And the, the right worst answer. part is politicians are driving it by having yeah. these discussions. Idiots. And again, it doesn't I guess it does bother me. I, you know, you said it doesn't bother you. It, it does bother me that I think it's understandable that people would bring up gun control concerns right away. But I don't think it's acceptable that the leader of the free world who sets <laughs> that narrative is out there doing it. I think that that is the problem that we are all so right. political on both sides. All right. of us. Oh, I agree. Can we talk about, speaking of Obama, can we please move on to Charlie okay, Brown because let's, we need something lighter. Let's take a break real quick and we'll come right back and do that, all right? Okay. Okay, just a minute. Back to the church boys. Merry Christmas, y'all. Merry Christmas. I threw that little y'all in there for, uh, for Rivette and, uh, Oh, what's his name? Uh, they start with y'all at like oh, no. 6 a.m. It's like <laughs> You're people. always ripping the... Stop! It's, it's too early for y'all. <laughs> but honestly, because here's the thing. Fine, y'all Y'all is fine if you're having a conversation. Chris is laughing because I become enraged about this. So y'all is fine if you're having a conversation. I, why are we using y'all in a text conversation? Why? It, because it's it's a twang that doesn't exist on text. It does, or an IM. <laughs> You, Am I you, wrong? You Ever, America, some, even Southerners, who I love, by the way, I love the South and Midwestern. I love you all. But why are we typing <laughs> Y-A apostrophe L-L and acting like that's okay? You choose some weird stuff to be <laughs> enraged about. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, oh, you know, I haven't had enough cookies. Clearly. You, you mentioned, and this just struck me, and maybe, I don't know, I don't know if, uh, did you see? Did you see Pedro's text or not text? His tweet about the new album, because we told I told him when the album's out, we'll talk about it. 
Yes, we actually. I want to have him on the show. We next need week to. Let's let's do it. that. Let's let's work on over the next couple of days. Let's get his phone number. Make sure we've got it. I'm sure you have it. And you've Pedro, quote, Pedro, lost Pedro, it. Pedro, Paging Pedro, Paging Pedro. Are you planning on being like gone? Are you, are you planning on being gone next week? Is that why you're thinking we should call him next week? <laughs> no, I'll but be, I, do, I will be here. I do want to talk to. I want to talk about his new album. Give him a few minutes to plug that thing because it. I mean, I, and did you listen to the clips? I don't know if you. You're not a metal. Head I did. Oh, I did. did. Okay, no, no, good. I did listen. I loved to it. I thought it sounded great. And if you're, I liked if, it a lot too. Even if you're not a metal person, you can listen to it and enjoy it. And, and because you know who's doing it, which is cool. But anyway, so I thought it was really good. So anyway, uh, check out Slaves Wage new album if you get a chance. And uh, we'll, we'll see if we can't get Pedro on next week to talk about the new album, about the band and that sort of thing. So Pedro, if you're listening, reach out to me and or Billy and we'll get your number and we'll talk to you. All right. What did you want to talk about? Wait. Yeah. I No, I have something I want to talk about. Yeah, yes, yes, I do. Yeah, wait, and it wait, involves wait. Charlie Brown. It involves Charlie Brown, and and I am enraged about this as well. There we go. Okay, uh, that was that had a little extra twang to it. It sounded like a little it had a little audio y'all to it. Play it again. I think oh, it's yeah, I very like pleasant. <laughs> it is very pleasant. Um, all right. So this past week, if you were paying attention, I don't know if anybody watched. Um, on Monday. There was a special on ABC yeah, about record, Charlie Brown. It was the 50th it actually, anniversary. Yeah. And it was called It's Your 50th Christmas, Charlie Brown. And it was cool because and, they, they talked to old actors who had done the voices of different characters and that sort of thing. It was a really cool. Yeah, it was, it was cool. Yeah. It was cool. Um, it was interesting. There's one point that was particularly interesting in this in this special, which, Uh-oh. by the way, look, I actually think some things in the war on Christmas get a little bit silly. I think there are legitimate yep, battles for people to be upset about. you know. And then there are things that are just stupid, like the Red Cups. <laughs> Um, but yeah, which, I said, yes, I called you, it stupid. What you pointed out in your, you wrote a little, you wrote, not a little, you wrote an op-ed, you wrote a commentary that's on theblaze.com. If people want to see it, go to the commentary section and Belly's nonsense is there. You can hear it there. You'll read it there. Go ahead. You'll find it buried, but yes, it's there. And, <laughs> and the, the bottom, the bottom line is I think that everyone just wants to bury whenever I have a rant to go on. The, the bottom line is that Obama, <laughs> President Obama and his wife, Michelle, they appear on this Charlie Brown special right. and they talk about the true meaning of Christmas. And look, I'm going to sound like the crazy red cup people with this, but I, I, it really isn't crazy when you break it down. And that's what I did in that piece because Chris is laughing because he thinks it's totally nuts. I don't but, I agree with you. But <laughs> okay. So the Obamas come on, come on the screen and, and President Obama goes on and on and on about how wonderful Charlie Brown is, which is true. It's a, it's a 50th year, 50 year tradition. Um, and, and everything sounds so nice. And then Michelle says, you know, that the show quote teaches us the true meaning of Christmas, which is very true. And in fact, Linus tells us what the true meaning of Christmas is. If you could see me on camera right now, my hands are going, I'm very, I'm in very, fact, in fact, Linus doesn't just tell us what the, he actually says verbatim. That's the meaning of Christmas. <laughs> I mean, like, which, which Charlie, actually is the same words that Michelle used. Right. Charlie Brown says, does anybody know what Christmas means? Does anybody understand the meaning of this? I don't get it. I'm lost. And and Linus goes out and tells the story of, of the birth of Christ, quotes from the what the book of Luke, right? And then he gets done, walks over to Charlie Brown and says, "That's the true meaning of Christmas, Charlie Brown." You know. And there's even an unfilled pause where there's a moment so everybody can consider it and think about it before right. he says, "And that's the true meaning of Christmas." Right. So the Obamas are talking about how wonderful it is, and then things go totally off the rails, and all of a sudden. <laughs> You know, Michelle says, Michelle says it teaches us the true meaning of Christmas. And then President Obama picks up with, 
They teach us that tiny trees just need a little love. <laughs> was that your was that your wait wait was that your Obama impression? Uh, I don't know. Okay. I'm not. It's okay. almost like a Mr. Rogers from Hell impression. I'm not sure, but they they teach us that tiny trees just need a little love, and that this holiday we celebrate peace on earth and goodwill towards all. Um, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> what? Okay, like, are we? Is this a quip? I guess it's a quip because Charlie Brown was upset about the little tree. Um, and I'm like, all right, okay, true. There is good. There is peace on earth and goodwill. That's true in Christmas. And then all of a sudden, Michelle swoops in again, and she says, <laughs> and this is the part that <laughs> makes me crazy, because as Linus knows, so now we're pointing back. By the way, right. to pointing back to Billy Talk. Right, right. They're pointing back to. Linus, who just said this is the true meaning of Christmas, okay, and they're they're right, right, and right. now and now the Obamas are taking the Charlie Brown show and saying Charlie Brown told us what the true meaning of Christmas was, and if you quote Charlie Brown, you get one answer. If you get the Obamas, right. you get the other answer. What's the other answer? Because and, and if you quote Linus, so, which is what she does, right. because as Linus knows, that's what Christmas is all about. <laughs> Except that and Linus never I'm said like, that. <laughs> that's not what Linus <laughs> said at Linus. all. You dope. She wait, wait, in fact, Linus said it wasn't about the tree. Right. <laughs> Charlie Brown's all upset. Why is Charlie Brown upset? If you remember the show, Charlie Brown's upset because he got asked to be the director of the show and nobody's listening to him. And so he's not in the Christmas spirit and he finds his dog has gone commercial, right? Because his dog has decorated the Christmas tree out of his doghouse with just crazy, you know, anyway. And so he goes out to find a Christmas tree. He gets sent to find a Christmas tree, and he finds the crappiest tree on the lot and brings it out, and it's now the iconic Charlie Brown Christmas tree. And he brings it back, and everybody laughs at him because the, the tree's all screwy. So Charlie Brown has realized none of this is what Christmas is all about. This is not the meaning of Christmas. Charlie Brown has discovered that on his own. And then he asks, what's the true meaning of Christmas? Linus comes out and reads, quotes verbatim the gospel, and tells the from story Luke. from Luke and tells the story of Christ being born. And says, oh, by the way, Charlie, that is the true meaning of Christmas. And what did the Obamas do? They say, no, 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 no. Exact opposite. Char Charlie Brown and Linus were both wrong. It's actually the decoration of a tree. <laughs> what? What's wrong <laughs> with you? Like it, but it, it's my, what's mind-boggling is that she then uses the same words as Linus when he had after that pause. Like, That's what Christmas is all about. This sounds so you, silly. If you tried but it's to be bizarre, if you tried to be more wrong in your telling of the Charlie Brown story, <laughs> you couldn't be. Right? If you um, turn Charlie and, Brown and, into an axe murderer and Linus into a rapist, <laughs> you couldn't be more. You wouldn't be oh more inaccurate. I can't. They they did the, like, they told the opposite of what the story was. It was almost like they were preparing to tell the story of Krampus. I don't even know. Like it's, it's like, what is going on in this special? I don't. I mean, these are people. They who, got it wrong on purpose. Have, it's like they I mean, got did it wrong Reverend Wright not cover this? I don't. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm kidding, kind of. Um, so, I <laughs> Chris people, actually can't contain they, himself. I can't. I don't. I, it's like they tried to be wrong. Well, the, yes, it it has to be intentional. There's no other way around it. That or I think it's or that, I think that it's or you're PC. stupid. You're either you're either trying to be wrong or you're stupid. And I'm not sure which is less comforting. No, look, they this is it's being PC. You want to bring everybody into the fold. We're not going to talk about what the true true meaning of Christmas is because even you know we want to talk about Krampus. Even though, even and though that's what this is. You don't really want to talk about the true meaning of Christmas, even though it's a special about a show that almost didn't get put on air because the author of the show, the writer of the show, wanted to tell the true meaning of Christmas, which is the birth <laughs> of Christ. 
That was Schultz's point. That's why he wanted to make the show. Was he wanted to tell the world about Jesus Christ. And so it almost didn't get made. They finally agreed to it, and it went crazy. I mean, it went ratings through the roof, and it is a, the most beloved Christmas special of all time. And they have a 50th anniversary special about it to talk about the true meaning of Christmas, and they missed it. And they missed it on purpose. It's very... Look, I don't... Ugh. If any other religious holiday were treated that way, okay... It, people would be going nuts. It, look, at the end of the day, you don't have to celebrate the birth of Christ at Christmas. That's fine. You don't have to, but that's what Christmas is about. Right. So, you know, go to a dictionary, which is actually what I did in the piece. Merriam-Webster gave us a very good <laughs> definition of what Christmas is, and it has nothing to do with tiny trees that just need a right. little love. Right. Nothing. I know. Or Krampus. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm super excited for that horrible movie that's coming, by the way. Like, of course you are. Do you, like how, do you like scary movies? Um, you know, I used to really love them, but but I'm a little uh, more freaked out by like the demon stuff now than I used to yeah. be. Um, so yeah, I like them. I like the more suspenseful, creepy ones. I don't. I don't like suspenseful. I don't like horror movies. I don't like scary movies. I like thrillers. I like I like suspenseful, but I don't like horror movies or or gory movies or horror or horror. Movies. I don't. I don't like. I don't gory. Like scary. I, I don't like, do. I don't like scary movies. I like suspenseful. Mo- I like suspenseful movies. I don't like scary movies. I just never. Why don't you want to be scared though? Because I, you know what? Because my mind won't leave it alone. It yeah, just continues to sit enough. there in my mind, and it's like I don't want my mind occupied by this. You know, it's really weird. Fair. I, I, I have like the Krampus movie. There, I have no desire to see that movie. Oh, I all. can't wait. That at one all. I can't wait for. I don't do gore though, so if it's gore, I'm not going to be happy. Right. I don't. I don't enjoy gore at all. I think it's pointless. Like Saw and all that, I, I won't yeah. do it. No. If, if it's creepy or scary, fine. No, I can I handle like, it. I like, like I love The Conjuring. I thought The Conjuring was really interesting. No, I don't I, like you know. it. doesn't appeal to me at all. Not well, at no all. Well, no one cares. No one really cares. Well, that's probably I think we should true. do a Christmas special and talk about how the true meaning of Christmas is fill in the blank. Because we can make it whatever we want now. Okay. It, it could be um, the true meaning of Christmas is celebrating... The invention of peanut butter, ice skating, dancing with the stars. Um, I don't even know. It's, it's, Las it's, Vegas. It's, it is so disturbing. So disturbing how wrong they were in that whole special. All right. I know you got other Christmas stuff. We have other Christmas things. It's Christmas season. We only get to do this you know, for a few shows a year. So let's come back in a minute. Well, we've got an interview coming up. And then I wanted you to come why back. Don't we, why don't we why, wait? Why don't we just introduce the interview now and play it? Okay, why, well, why do we have to? That's, that's, that's fine. 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 That's what I want. Uh, so this actually is, is interesting timing because a lot of people continue to talk about the end times, seeing the events that are going on in the world right. as having something to do with the book of Revelation, with Ezekiel, with all the different with elements the, that, that are cobbled you know, together. Islamic terrorism, like, Islamic terrorism, all those kinds of things feeds into that. I, I don't want to say fear because it makes it sound like I'm, di- I'm discounting it because I'm not. But that, it feeds into that uh, a desire to hear more of these stories. Well, the destabilization of yeah. the moral framework, that made me sound smart for a second, is I think what is stop, at the basis of all of this. And stop that. that. And stop that's doing what, it. What? Stop being smart. Stop what? Stop being smart. Oh, it's, it was I fake. Can't, I, I mean, can't continue talking to you if you're going to be smart. 
I'm st- look. I'm still on high with my ideas for <laughs> celebrating Christmas. What, what the fake meanings of Christmas can be. Um, but but so we talked with Jeff Kinley, who has a new book called Wake the Bride. Um, he's an expert who has spent a lot of time looking at the end times. Uh, believes in the rapture. Has a lot of ideas. You know, look. Some of these things are very debated. They've been debated for eons in the Christian realm. But he's got this book out where he basically encourages everybody to be ready and be watching because the end is in his view, coming. He's not saying it's tomorrow. He doesn't know when it is. You know, the Bible says we don't know when it is, but um, but believes that there are certain things happening that should be causing some eyebrows to raise. And so let's just roll it. I, I think he, right. he did a great job of guiding us through all of the elements, and you'll be profoundly entertained by both Jeff and I. Oh, <laughs> just can't. Look. I'm looking forward to it <laughs> with bated breath. So here we go. It's Billy Hollowell here with the Church Boys, and I have Jeff Kinley on the line, author of Wake the Bride. How you doing today, Jeff? Doing great, Billy. Great to be with you, man. Well, it's great to talk with you, and you know, we've you've always been an amazing resource. Um, I've obviously interviewed you for the Blaze in the past, and a book that I'm working on now. You've been an extremely amazing and helpful source on, so I'm excited to have you on uh, to talk about the end times, and I think. You know, and we'll get into your book too, but I think this is something that a lot of people in recent years, and I think for decades, you know, talk of the end times has, has been on people's minds, and, and obviously even before that, but with Israel coming back onto the scene in 1948, and with a lot of the events we see going on in the world, there's a lot of intrigue and eyebrow raising going on. Um, and, you know, what do you make right now? And I, this is, I love leading with, with loaded questions, but what do you make right now of what's going on in the Middle East with Israel and with all of the other countries there? And you have Russia now in the mix. What, what's going on there? Well, it's very interesting and fascinating, especially if you're a student of the scripture and of the end times, because it looks like things are really shaping up for a showdown in the Middle East. You know, I mean, think about it. If someone came in right now and brought peace to that region, to that area, to that conflict, we would hail them as a world leader. And in fact, I think that's exactly what the Antichrist will do in the tribulation period. But as we see it right now, I think, Billy, everybody really senses that that this is a powder keg, that, that something is really getting ready to happen there with Russia moving in. And so it's a real dark moment in history. It's a volatile moment. Uh, in our existence. And I think people are really asking the question, what's next? What's going to happen? How does ISIS play into this in Syria and Russia? So, you know, it's really unknown as to how these things are all going to play out. But I do think that these things are like chess pieces being placed into uh, their exact locations to prepare for what I think will be a future conflict in that area. Yeah, and it's, you know, there are a lot of people who sort of scoff at Christians and evangelicals and they, oh, you know, that crazy end times talk. Yeah, how do you respond to those people? Because it does, I mean, it does seem like anybody who actually studies and looks at some of this, there are some things in the Bible that when you compare them to what is happening now, it becomes a little eerie. (laughs) I don't know if that's the right word. but Yeah, Yeah, it is. It's kind of a creepy moment, if you be honest about it, because... You know, I think one of the things that people do is they is they think about what's going on in the world, and really it's not just Christians. I mean, everyone is looking around the world, and I think Barna just recently came out with a statistic that says that one in five adults, you know, believe that we are close to the end times, or 41% believe that we are, you know, living in the last days and that type of thing. But, you know, I think people have, the response to them has been one of really three ways. They've either sensationalized or over-speculated about some of these things. And I think we have to be very careful about identifying 
you know, things specifically when things are not spelled out in Scripture. And, you know, even the rapture, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about, has gotten a bad rap for that because people have really over-sensationalized that to, uh, you know, predict certain dates and that type of thing. So I think over-speculating is one thing, but I think another one is just to scoff at it, as you mentioned. But, you know, it's just not, to me, it's not surprising that that would happen, Billy, because Second Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 13 talk about the fact that in the last days, it says many will mock the coming of Christ and the prophecies about him. And, you know, where is the promise of his coming? Because they go, hey, you know, your Christians are like the boy who cried wolf. I mean, there's no wolf there. You keep crying Christ is coming back. So I think that is one of the ways that people scoff um, at it today. But a, a third way, I think, is that people just tend to ignore it. They just kind of say, well, you know, what will be, what will be, and it'll all pan out in the end. And yet Scripture is standing there with these flashing neon signs saying, hey, look at me, because I want to tell you about the end times and tell you, more importantly, how to prepare for what's coming in this world. You know, yeah, and it's it's fascinating to me. You, you mentioned the rapture, which has been really, um, I guess, a point of contention, a point of debate uh, between Christians nowadays, and, and so many different views on yeah, and, and I've said, it's funny, I've interviewed a lot of people, I'm writing a book, as I mentioned, about the end times, and you, know, you get some people who say, well, the rapture isn't biblical, and then you have other people who say, well, yeah, there's going to be a rapture, obviously, the language speaks to that, but the debate is really over when that that taking away of Christians happens, right, that that removal of Christians from, from Earth, you know, does it happen before the, this mm-hmm. tribulation period, during, I mean, you know this very well, what... Yep. Where do you stand? I know where you stand, but I want to give you a chance to explain to people. Where do you stand on that and why? Well, in fact, I have two chapters in my book, Wake the Bride, devoted specifically to the rapture. And the first one is called Grounding the Rapture. And I just really talk about what what are all the reasons why people would want to uh, slam the rapture or diss the rapture, whatever word you want to use. And uh, present the arguments that they use, and then I respond to those arguments in a way that I that I help uh, that I hope convinces the reader uh, that uh, those are invalid. But I think as you look at the pattern of, of Scripture, uh, we see kind of four things that, that are happening that tell us that that there is a rapture event coming. And I think one of them is just the pattern of, of deliverance and rescue throughout Scripture, uh, specifically in the Old Testament. You know. God never promises to save his people from tribulation or hard times as it relates to the world. In fact, Jesus in John 15 said, hey, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. However, when God himself lowers his wrath and his fury on the earth, his pattern has been to remove the righteous prior to that event. He did it, of course, with Noah before the flood. He did it with Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, and he did it with Rahab. Uh, with uh, the Battle of Jericho before he destroyed uh, that town. And so, again, God doesn't promise to save us from hard times, but when his wrath is coming, uh, then we're rescued. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 1 and 5 uh, says that we're not destined for wrath and that we are going to be delivered from the wrath to come. So there's the pattern of Scripture. The second thing, and I go into great detail about this in the book, but it's just the promise of Jesus himself in John 14, 1 through 3, where using this well-known betrothal bride motif, Christ tells his followers, I'm going to go away, but at another time I'm going to come back and receive you to myself. And he, of course, was was calling up that imagery of the, the groom going away to prepare a place in his father's house for the bride, and then at some unannounced time uh, to come in and surprise the bride and snatch her away. 
there's that. And then the prophecy of Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, and really we see this throughout the New Testament, is the picture of the imminent return of Jesus Christ, and he even uses the word, you know, the word rapture is not actually in the Bible, it's a transliteration of a, of a Latin word, but the event described in the Bible actually is, it's the Greek word harpazo, which means to snatch up or, or snatch away, uh, and it was used of Christ in the ascension, uh, and of Paul when he says he was snatched up in the third heavens, uh, caught up in the third heavens. Uh, and so even though the word Trinity, uh, the word uh, rapture is not in the Bible, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, the word missions is in the Bible, the word Easter is not in the Bible. In fact, Billy, the word Bible is not even in the Bible. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but we do believe in the Bible. And so many things that we believe, we have crafted words to help us articulate those beliefs. And the word rapture is just a word to describe that. We could, we could call it the great catching up, the great going to heaven, call it anything you want to. Uh, in fact, Paul uses another word. He calls it the parousia, which means the appearing uh, or the presence of Christ. Uh, so anyway, we have the prophecy of Paul and, uh, and other words, uh, other verses that speak of eminence. And then the last thing would just be the portrayal of the church and the book of Revelation itself. I think there's some 19 references to church or churches in chapters 1 through 3. And as Paul outlines the book, the things that were, the things that are, and the things that are to come— when he gets into the things that are to come, he speaks of the period we call the tribulation period. There's literally no mention of the word church at any point in that tribulation period. Until chapter 19, we see his holy ones, whom he describes as those clothed in fine white linen, coming from heaven with Christ at the second coming. And then he mentions the church again after that. And so we have this absence of the church during the time when God releases his wrath on planet Earth. And so for those four reasons, the pattern of Scripture, the promise of Jesus, the prophecy of Paul, and the portrayal in, in Revelation, I believe we have, we have a compelling case, uh, and other reasons as well, as to why this rapture is a legitimate event and why we need to prepare ourselves for it. When we talk about God's wrath and we talk about the tribulation period, can you take me through a little bit of where you stand on that? You know, what, what happens during that period? You know, is there peace for the first three and a half years in your view? And then does, do things turn ugly after? How does that, how does that work? Well, if the rapture is true, and I believe that it will be true, if you can only imagine tens of millions of people vanishing from planet Earth and just the chaos that that will cause on every level of society, particularly uh, with the United States, whom I believe uh, will not be a huge player in the end times. But think about it. I mean, you've got people everywhere from government to medicine to education to the workforce to think of the mortgages that will be defaulted upon. So financially, there'll be a financial collapse as a result of that. And worldwide, this is going to happen. So there's going to have to be some person to come onto the scene immediately after that, to bring some sort, some sense or a semblance of stability to the Earth. Someone's going to have to be a spokesman for, for planet Earth and to bring a sense of calm and security and peace and safety uh, to, uh, to the planet. And I believe that's who the Antichrist will be. And so at, at that time, at some point after the Revelation, I believe that this person will rise up uh, out of the sea of humanity as a world leader, as a political leader, and the people will follow him. And uh, Scripture tells us that he'll sign a peace treaty with Israel, bringing peace to that region, which obviously, as I mentioned before, would be a huge, huge deal. So as he rises to power, he brings a sense of peace at some point in there. And it is unknown as to whether it's in some point in the first three and a half years or the second three and a half years where God's judgments really begin to unleash. But I believe they do begin at some point after that. And 
Scripture tells us in Revelation that it'll be a series of judgments described as seal judgments, uh, trumpet judgments, and bowl judgments, and those kind of relate back to sort of first century uh, imageries to help, you know, John communicate that to his audience at the time. But according to Scripture, Billy, it's going to be a terrible time to be alive. I mean, uh, there's so many things that will happen. It'll be hell on earth, torment, tormenting the earth and its inhabitants. Uh, truly what people think of as the apocalypse, the food and water shortage, triple-digit inflation, cataclysmic events, earthquakes, you know, 100-pound hailstones falling from the sky, uh, darkness, uh, demons released to torment mankind for five months. I mean, it'll just be an incredible time because God, although he's been very patient for many thousands of years, uh, God's patience does run out. And that's one of the things that Second Peter uh, 3 tells us is that he's very long-suffering, but God has a plan, and part of his plan is to return his attention back to Israel again and to bring his wrath and fury on those who have rejected Christ uh, throughout the, the, the period of grace or the period of the church age that we know as. So uh, it's going to be a horrible, horrible time to be alive, and I have several chapters on that uh, in the book, one just called uh, The Rebellious Planet, Rebels and Wrath, and I uh, go through each of those judgments and define them specifically for the reader. What do you think, and I want to ask you a little bit more about Wake the Bride, too, as, as we go here, but what do you think are things, and I know this is tricky because you're everyone wants to be cautious in how they address these elements, but what are things people should be looking out for? Are there uh, any other signs or things that would be important to be watching for um, as this unfolds and as things move forward? Well, according to Scripture, you know, really the super sign of the age is Israel returning to the land, uh, you know, as God prophesied in, in the book of Ezekiel. And so that's happened, and Jews are continuing to return to the land. I find that it's very interesting to me that the recent Paris attacks uh, have prompted Jews to begin to move from France uh, back to uh, Israel even more. In fact, there's an airline, a Jewish airline, who's offered a one-way ticket for about $350 for any Jew that wants to move back home. So we've seen this this constant migration back to the homeland. And again, as you mentioned earlier, that those kind of specific things are the kinds of things that make you kind of like go, whoa, something really is happening here. So really the Jews coming back to the land is the concrete super site. Now, as we look forward to to the time in the, in the book of Revelation, the, time, the tribulation period, and we examine what culture and the climate of life on planet Earth is going to be like during that time, <clears throat> we can then look now and go, hey, are there anything now, anything going on now that really foreshadows that, that gives us a sense that that's where we're headed? Are there storm clouds gathering to indicate we're about to get into what we call down south a gully washer, you know, of a rainstorm? And I outlined a lot of that in the book as it was in the days of Noah with the godlessness, the violence, the sexual immorality, and other things as well. But I think now as we look towards the book of Revelation, we see specific things that are going to happen there. We see this, this stage being set for war uh, in the Middle East. So that really sets up uh, someone to come in at some point and to bring peace to that area. Even things like, Billy, the, the rebuilding of the temple, uh, which Scripture tells us that the Jews will do uh, during the tribulation period under the, this peace agreement with the Antichrist. Um, in 1987, the uh, the Temple Institute was established in Jerusalem, and they began at that time fashioning uh, the exact uh, specifications to uh, temple vessels and to temple garments. Uh, so they're ready to, to begin the sacrifices again at the Jewish temple. They're just waiting for the temple to be rebuilt. 
And so little indications like that, and as we see, again, Russia moving into that area exactly as Ezekiel uh, 38 and 39 talk about, I mean, those are the type of things that you just can't ignore. So, again, uh, you know, saying is this just sort of the um, the beginnings of what's going to happen, or is it right at the at the cuspus of this baby being born? It is hard to say, because no one can predict the future. But I think at least we can say that the climate is coming together and that the storm clouds are gathering so that these things could happen and people wouldn't be surprised. What, in your view... Um... You know, when we talk about the old, we talk about the Old Testament, right? And you, know, you look, you mentioned Ezekiel thirty-eight and thirty-nine, and obviously the preceding chapters talking about Israel coming back together, um, and there are other places where that's discussed as well. You have a lot of people who will say, "Oh, well, no, 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 those things already happened." And in one of the one historian I spoke with, she used the words "cobble together." She said, "You know, these people are cobbling together." scriptures. And then after I sort of thought about that, and I thought, well, if you're going to use that same, you know, mentality, you'd have to claim now looking back that verses would be cobbled together to um, predate the coming of the Messiah too, right? Because they weren't all linear in the mm-hmm. same place. The verses are right. cobbled together from different places in the Old Testament. But I guess the, the question is, people will say, well, these things have already happened. And, you know, and, and these are not things to happen in the future. And even with the Antichrist in Revelation, you'll have those who will say, well, that was Nero or that was somebody else. You know, how, what would you say to, in response to that? How would you dismiss those claims? Well, and, and I talk about a little bit of this in the book, too, is that, you know, I believe Satan doesn't have the, the timetable that God has. In other words, Satan doesn't know what God's chronological timetable is, but he does know the Scripture. So he knows that at any time God could, could uh, cause these events to come to pass, so I believe Satan really has to have a candidate available in every generation in case God were to go ahead and just, you know, cause this baby to be born and, and for the, to push this thing uh, on into fruition. And so you, you see you know, people like like perhaps a Nero or perhaps an Adolf Hitler. I mean, those are people that were, were these tribulation events to have happened immediately following uh, some of these world figures. You would say, oh, well, it made sense that he rose, you know, to promise and that type of thing. But none of these guys are are the Antichrist, and people try to point today to to Bill Clinton or to, you know Barack Obama or whatever. The point is is that yes, I understand how people could uh, to could look at the scripture and say, well, you're just sort of you know bringing these things into into your own interpretation so that they would fit your preconceived you know formation of eschatology and that type of thing. However, you have to understand that. You have to keep a consistent hermeneutic throughout Scripture. In other words, you can't just say, well, all of this is symbolic, but all of this is literal. I mean, you have to look at the Scripture in a consistent way. And as I look at Revelation, Billy, I see that though John uses metaphors and he uses symbolic language, he tells us when those things are symbolic. He says this beast had a face like a lion or you know, wings like an eagle kind of thing. So he does tell us when he's being, uh, when he's being not literal. The thing is, is I look at Revelation, I go, none of these things you can say have ever happened in human history. I mean, there haven't been demons released from a pit to torment men for five months. There haven't, hasn't been a mark of the beast on all of mankind. So these things have to be yet in the future. And the crazy thing about that is, is that I think it does fit the futurist uh, you know, view of Revelation, is that at no time in human history could we really even conceive of all of these things in Revelation being uh, viable. I mean, Revelation has seemed so sci-fi in the future, uh, excuse me, in the past, 
But now we look at Revelation, we go, this is really not sci-fi anymore. This is something I can really see happening with our technology and, and where we are in the world. So I think that when you say that it's just sort of a hodgepodge of putting things together, I think you have to look at the consistency and the pattern of Scripture and con- maintain a consistent hermeneutic as seeing Scripture in its literal, literal grammatical, historical uh, context. And when you do that, I think you do come to a place where you say Revelation hasn't happened yet. Very good. Okay, so now my final question, because I know we, we want to talk about your book a little bit here. Um, and you know, this book, I think, is fascinating. I've been through a good chunk of it um, as, I'm, as I'm working through some similar subjects in the book I'm writing. And Wake the Bride, what, what was the impetus behind this? Why did you write this book? Well, I think it's really a timely book right now for, for many reasons. One, just the fact that the times that we're living in, because a lot of Christians look around their world, they see what's happening, they're maybe gripped by fear, uncertainty, insecurity. They want to know, how do I understand the times? Well, Wake the Bride helps them uh, get a view on end times prophecy and on really where we are in relationship to that. So that was really one reason. Second reason is I think the average Christian, the average person really looks at Revelation and they, they're afraid of it. It's like that room in your grandmother's house you weren't allowed to go into, <laughs> except on special occasions. And even then you felt uncomfortable because things, the things that were in there. Um, so I think Revelation does seem kind of foggy. It's far off. It is sort of sci-fi to a lot of people. It's hard to understand. You know, we typically say it's, it's for, you know, PhDs only or what I call the PNTs, the prophecy nerd types, you know. Um, how is Revelation even relevant or practical to my life right now? I mean, how, how do beasts in the tribulation period relate to me? Uh, so for those reasons, I think Revelation's sort of been a, a book that's been hard to touch. But at the same time, I say, well, wait a minute. It's in the Bible, though. It's, it's in the Bible. It's, it's there just like Psalms or Proverbs or Ephesians or, or the Gospels. And it's really God's exclamation point to his entire written revelation uh, in, in Scripture. And so he chose to end his word to us with the book of Revelation. So for, so for that reason, and many more, I have a section in the back of the book called The 15 Perks of Prophecy, just about what prophecy does for us right now. But for those reasons, Billy, I really think that Revelation is a book to be taken seriously right now, and that every Christian is meant to hear it, uh, to read it, and to obey it, as it says in Revelation 1-3. So I tried to write this book in such a way as to take the reader on a journey to say, hey, take my hand here. This is going to be an uphill climb, but, but you'll appreciate the view at the top. And, and so, you know, John wrote Revelation to give an overview of the end times and to help the bride uh, come awake again because she had fallen asleep. And that's what chapters 2 and 3 are really all about uh, in Revelation, about how the church really no longer resembles herself just two generations after Jesus. And so Christ gave this vision to the church to say, hey, wake up. Get your wedding garments on and prepare yourself for my return. So that was really the impetus of me launching into this thing. Very good. And one last question for you. Um, when we talk about the outline of Revelation, I, it's so funny when I ask people, okay, well, which parts of Revelation have not happened yet? You get a lot of different responses. How how would you differentiate um, the first three chapters from the rest of the book? Or would you? You know, how would you, I guess, how would you describe the breakdown in your mind, of what is still yet to come. Yeah, I would say that, that really Revelation 1 is the, the things that, that were, and it goes back to um, the things that John had seen, and, and you know talking about the churches and the seven spirits and that type of thing in, in chapter 1. Chapters 2 and 3 are the things that are in John's time, uh, his, uh, his contemporaries, and he talks about the churches there. 
And then he talks about the things that are to come, and I believe that's Revelation 4 and following. And here's what the amazing thing is to me about Revelation, Billy, is that, you know, people ask, well, how does, you know, wake the bride, how does Revelation really awake the church? And it happens by engaging the book of Revelation, because God is a master storyteller. And unlike, you know, some movies where you see sort of a chronological, you know, telling of a story, God is so creative. He'll pause. He'll do some flashbacks. He'll take us to another location for a while, and really to give us perspective on the whole thing. And then he gets back into the story again. So he does these multiple scenes all at once, which are really cool. But as we go through the book of Revelation, and as, as the reader sees Christ as he is in chapter 1, as the reader evaluates himself in the church and, and sees himself in a mirror in chapters 2 and 3, and then we go to, to heaven, and we see the throne room of heaven, and we see that while all hell is going to break loose on planet Earth, God's still in charge, and everything's going to still be okay. And so it gives us a sense of peace and security right now, even in our own lives. I mean, people going through hard times right now, they need to know that God is still in charge, and He's still got them in the palm of His hand. And even as He takes us through uh, the events of the book of Revelation during the tribulation period, we still know that God is orchestrating history to an appointed time, and that time is the return of His Son Jesus in chapter 19. And then I talk about heaven and what's going to happen in heaven after that. So it's just a fascinating book that really can be grasped by the average Christian. So that's why I wanted to write this book. Well, listen, I appreciate you taking the time. We'll make sure we link out to Wake the Bride and would love to have you back on the show sometime very soon. Absolutely, Billy. It's always great to be with you. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. And now, back to the church, boys. They're a real pain in my <laughs> Okay, so Billy and I have been joking during while well, we've been taking breaks here. Uh, so we got a couple more Christmas items, Christmassy related items that we want to get to, and we're going to start with the good news, and then we're going to end end on a less than <laughs> less than positive note. <laughs> but it makes me happy. <laughs> so you are an awful okay, creature. Okay, you need to share that. No, the first let's let's start with this good story. So it has to do with the Salvation Army and all the little red buckets that you see out there and that sort of thing. Tell people what happened with the Salvation Army bucket. I actually am obsessed with this story. I love it. And it's one of those stories that you write and you're like, you know, it's not going to probably not going to do that well because everyone wants to be enraged and this is not going to enrage us. Although a lot of stories on the blaze do really well when they are positive, uplifting stories. This just hasn't been a positive, uplifting week. Right. But anyway, basically what happened, and I'm sure a lot of people saw the initial story, this anonymous couple um, and and the Salvation Army knows who they are, but they are anonymous to the rest of the public, dropped a five hundred thousand dollar check into a kettle outside of a grocery store. Um, and and they did this in the Twin Cities. And basically their whole reason for doing this, obviously they wanted to help the Salvation Army. Uh, they had one of their fathers had served in World War One and um, really had been a huge fan of the Salvation Army. And so they wanted to honor him, but they also really wanted to inspire people to maybe give a little bit of extra money. There's a couple of crazy elements to this story, right? Obviously right. the $500,000 check in a kettle is massive. Huge. But huge. But the bigger piece is that, you know, I talked with the Salvation Army yesterday and they told me that the Twin Cities office was $523,000 in the hole compared to where they were last year. So they were over 500,000 behind. And the couple didn't know that when they gave this check. They had no idea. Um, And so, A, that was a huge, obviously they helped fill that massive gap. And look, when the Salvation Army doesn't have money, that means people aren't being fed, they aren't getting housed. It's, It's a big deal. Um, 
but but the other piece of this that I think is really cool and really kind of crazy is that they've had a it's basically three times the number of calls coming in of people saying, hey, we want to ring bells. We want to volunteer. We want to be a part of this. They are getting people all over the country who are inspired by this five hundred thousand dollar check who actually want to do good and help the organization. I love it. And I love, you know, I I love I did the, the bell ringing thing. Did you ever do that when you're like in college and stuff? You know, it's funny. I never Army. did. And now I really want to. It was, it was fun. Cause you always, the cool thing is that there's always some, there's a, it doesn't matter where you live, what shift you take. Because I did several different shifts. There's always at least somebody that comes and say, I'll give you $5 to stop ringing the bell. <laughs> you know, that's the common <laughs> joke, right? Cause you stand there, ding, ling, 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 ling. And it's fun. But the real, I mean, it's just, people are in a good mood. It's Christmas time. People are going in and out of stores shopping. And they, 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 people will drop things in and you get to wish people Merry Christmas and you just talk to them and you have a good time. It really is a fun thing. It's not like, it's not like roller, going on a roller coaster thrill ride kind of fun, but it's just fun. It's the Christmas spirit and people are in generally in a good mood. And if they don't want to give, they just, they just don't give. And that's, you know, the people who are in a bad mood must mostly ignore you. The people who are in a good mood or positive, you can engage with them and have discussions with them. And it is a ton of fun. So I would encourage you to see if you can, if you can get a signed up for do it, to do a shift of one of the red bucket things, you ought to do it. Give it a try. Yeah, no, I'm actually, I'm actually very fascinated by it and I would love to actually do it. And I'm look, I'm sure the story helped too. I'm sure there's more yeah. people now yeah. who are even more interested. Yeah. And it wasn't obviously just the blaze. This was covered everywhere. And in fact, we were a little bit late to it and that's why we were able to cover that other piece, you know, right. what happened after, which right. I think is, right. I actually think that's way more that's interesting cool. than the check itself. Yeah. I mean, the check is amazing, but, but the fact that, one person does something good, yep. and a lot of times it just snowballs, and other yep. people start to it's do it. It's contagious. Too. I mean, it really is. I mean, positive attitudes and doing nice things—that's actually a contagious thing. It's even more contagious, I think, when it's done right than the negative stuff. I mean, we get bombarded with negative stuff all the time, but it's the kind stuff that's contagious. I mean, you go, ah, I want to be like that because there's there's almost nobody for the most part who hears a negative story. Somebody goes just being a jerk. You go, I want to be like that person, right? You don't, that's not how you react to those stories. But you read a story like this. You're like, Oh, I wish I could do that. I wish I could give $500,000. Right. You know, and, and maybe it makes you look into your wallet and you go, I can give a hundred bucks. Are you, are you looking at your checking account? Yeah, I could write a check for $500. But it, 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 people want to be like that, you know? And so it's good that we have that story out there. So let's, let's, let's turn it just a little bit. We'll stay. This isn't an awkward transition because it's still kind of the Christmas spirit, but it's the other side of this. It's the, now it's time for rage. It's time for douchebaggery. <laughs> oh, okay, so you, know, you have to tell this other story uh, because I'm, I read this story and my first thought was South Park. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm reading because, your, you're, because I'm, you've lost your soul. I, I'm reading your write up and waiting for Mr. Hanky, the Christmas poo to show up. <laughs> oh, so, Mr. Hanky. Mr. Hanky, well, the Christmas poo. He loves me. I love you. Go ahead. Mr. <clears throat> Hanky basically did show up because <laughs> in the in the form of the ACLU and the Freedom from Religion Foundation. I thought you were gonna say the call the you know, judge, Mr. Hanky. I just I <laughs> I don't know what to make of these stories. Oh, hold on. <sighs> Beyond attack. Um go. What I don't understand about this story is why if you're going to have a Christmas show or a holiday show at a school, Mm -hmm. and this is a high school, okay? It's a high school where people have brains and they can think a little bit more than younger kids. But, okay, it's a high school and they want to have a Christmas show. And for the past 30 years, they've included a live nativity as a good chunk of that show. The past how long? 30 years. 30, okay. 
So not like the okay. just last year they they did this for the first time. They've been doing this for thirty a long years. time. Okay, yes. established themselves as it's not dangerous to do this kind of thing situation. Well, because if you, okay, it's like let's talk about um, what other holiday. Let's talk about Thanksgiving, but we can't talk about turkeys. Like that's basically <laughs> what this is like. Yeah. yeah so yeah. The, the Freedom from Religion Foundation. And the ACLU got involved when a, a student who's in this choir, apparently, who would be performing during this, and a parent who are unnamed, they basically said, we don't like this, and they filed a lawsuit. And the school has actually doubled down and defended itself and said, no, we th this is a Christmas show. We have a nativity. That's what it's about. Right. Um, but they're considering it proselytization and conveying a message of endorsement of religion. In the end, a judge has sided with the atheist group in the ACLU saying, giving a preliminary injunction saying that they, he agrees. Now, mm. this case doesn't go to pretrial until January, so that's after the concert. So basically right. at this point, the school has lost and they have to remove the nativity. No turkeys at Thanksgiving. I mean, just... No just, pumpkins at just Halloween. Don't, just, don't have a, just don't have a Christmas program then. I mean, if, if you're allowed to have a Christmas program, then you ought to be able to say what the Christmas program is about. What is the point of the program? Right? Well, I'm sure they, they would love that. Right? The it's, atheists. I, yeah. But I, 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 it's the South Park episode I refer to, uh, they, they get so outraged, people get so outraged about all the, the religious symbolism in a Christmas program, and then they get upset about the secular symbols that are in it. And finally, all these kids are up there in these gray leotards doing these interpretive dances to crappy music. And somebody, and then this big whole fight breaks out in the gym during the program because somebody notices a star that didn't get removed from the decorations. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just this all-out brawl. Anyway, you just go, what's... If you're going to have a Christmas program, then allow people to talk about what the program is is celebrating. I, I think the point is that they don't want a Christmas program. Right. They don't want a, all of this. And I, I mean, uh, hold on right wing watch alert. Cause I'm sure I'll be put on right wing watch for <laughs> saying this. You know, I think a lot of this is an attempt to obviously strip any sort of faith religion out of, out of, you know, public life. Yep. But the other piece of it, I think is just a spiritual component. I think that a lot of this, maybe these people don't even yep. realize that there's this, this tool in, yep. in all of this sort of spiritual battle and removal of these symbols and the idea that we don't, that, that there are forces that do not want faith to be present. Yeah, Does that sound crazy? I, no, I think I, I probably I think, sound crazy, I, I, but no, that's I what think I think. Right. And I think you're right. That's what I believe. Um, I'm right wing watch. I'm sure you heard it. So make sure you, you know, write, you, know write what, you know what, you know what we'll do? We will package this up and we will send it to them. How about that? <laughs> just to make sure they got it. Okay. Make sure you put their logo on it too and they can just upload right. it right to YouTube. And, then, and, right, and, um, we'll, and we'll include a picture of Mr. I, Hanky the Christmas Pooh. Yes. Oh, yes. Please do. Please do. I just, you know, crazy. Crazy. Yes, I crazy. Know. Crazy. I know. I know. I now, know. look. Look. I, I mean, I think the question would be in a place like Dearborn, should there be Muslim plays during Muslim holidays at public schools? That would be a question that somebody might ask. And and so the, the follow-up question is that to that is, do you do Muslim holiday celebrations already? Because if the school has a policy of doing Muslim holiday celebrations, then then the story of what's behind the, the celebration should be told. Well, I, actually, in New York City, for instance, those holidays are now given off. Yeah. Muslim, there are so many Muslims that the holidays are given off. Same with Jewish holidays. So it would, I guess, make sense that you might explore some of those holidays a bit deeper right. in the classroom. I don't know. But I, I mean, it makes sense to me. Like, if you're going to give people a holiday, Columbus Day, 
let's say, or Veterans Day or Thanksgiving or Christmas, if you're going to give them Good Friday off, oughtn't you be able to allow to discuss, oh, why do we have this day off? I mean, certainly the kids are asking. Why shouldn't you be able to point out, by the day, the, the reason that we're celebrating, the reason you get this day off, the reason for whatever, is because X, regardless of what X is. Right? Right? Yeah, I just... Uh, these <laughs> so things make just, me crazy. So just, we're surrounded by stupid. That's uh, that's part of our problem. It's just like I... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. I mean, I, I really think... That the Obamas should probably call the Freedom from Religion Foundation and <laughs> explain, explain what. Explain the, wait, because if they explain the true meaning of Christmas, none of this will be a problem anymore. Right, we'll because do, tiny trees are not controversial. They'll, right, they'll bring back all the celebrations. They'll go, oh, that's the true meaning of Christmas. Well, by George, we should be having all these kinds of pro- programs. <laughs> I mean, and that's I don't know, anyway. Anyway. Well, you know, all right, so I'm going to call Reverend Wright and ask him about all right, this. So we we should we should go now. We'll get this thing posted here pretty soon. But um, uh, why don't you go hit the treadmill? Not the treadmill, the elliptical. Do something. Because really, it's shameful. You're off. Miss a meal. You're awful. Skip a meal. Have a salad once in a I know. I actually feel like <laughs> I've grown my empire in the past couple of weeks. But I haven't. I you just, haven't. I, I feel like I have. <laughs> You're taking up more space, but it's in a but your house the size of your house hasn't changed. <laughs> maybe maybe my scale's broken. I mean, look the bottom the bottom line is de- December is a November and December are both just oh, they're awful. Terrible. They're months. awful. I mean, I'm gonna get fatter it's, too. It's I'm, a fat factory over yeah, here. Absolutely. I mean, that's what it is. Same here. And you know, and and I joke with you about it because I can, and it makes me feel better about myself to bring you down. But you know, I <laughs> are you still on your diet? Wait, are you still on your diet? My diet. I've lost, you know, I told you after Thanksgiving, I said, you know, I'm up a pound and a half from where I had gained. If I'm back, I've lost, I'm down back to where I was. So I'm down, I'm down over the last, because of Thanksgiving, over the last three weeks or so, I'm down about 14 pounds. That's absolutely disgraceful. <laughs> well, it's not like I'm, but I'm not trying, and you give me a hard time. He's not really dieting. He's just eating less. Well, what is it? I mean, I mean, okay, so yes, okay, fine. But it's like I'm counting calories. I'm just making a conscious effort to not eat as much as I was eating before. But so okay, well, when I've I po- actually had enough of you. Okay, just a minute, but I phone, <laughs> you had that picture of you with Santa Claus on Facebook. And I write. Yes, I said something about. I know. I, I can. Rec- I recognize the the fat man in the red suit. Who's the fat man and what in the did plaid your wife shirt? Say to you? I know. And my what wife <laughs> told me I had to be nice. And in fact, I walked out to the kitchen after I'd posted that, and she says, "You need to be nicer to Billy." And why? <laughs> why do you need to be nicer? I don't know. You're gonna hurt it's his Christ- feelings because she said it's Christmas. Let's go. Yeah, that's right. You need to be nicer, <laughs> Billy. I said, "Why?" She goes, "It's Christmas." <laughs> <laughs> Not because she cares about your feelings, just because it's Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, love my wife. Know, oh man, I hate you. <laughs> okay, we should. All right. go. We should go. Say Read your Old Testament <laughs> and watch the Peanuts. We'll talk to you later. Bye bye. What's the true meaning of Christmas? Rapid. The trophy of Christmas. The Church Boys.